0: Welcome to the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not so distant future of finance. My name is Ryan King, Head of Business Development at Dusk, and every episode I will dive into a specific part of finance. We aim to do this in a maximum of 25 minutes. And in this episode, we're joined by the founder of OutDid, Svezdin Besarabov, who founded an end to end private ID verification, leveraged ZK Proofs. And in this episode, we're going to talk about ZK Proofs and our latest investment in OutDid. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan.
1: Well, nice to meet you everyone. Um, I'm Svez. I co-founded Aldid about almost a year and a half ago and I'm the current CEO. And um, yeah, I'm super curious about anything privacy related or politics or anything in and outside of Web3 as well. And, um, and yeah, we'd love to have a very meaningful conversation.
0: Well, thanks for being on the show. So today we're diving into the world of uh, issues like KYC and SSID and specifically using as a vehicle for that uh, Dusk's latest investment, which is in Outdid. Tell us a little bit about this fundraising round, the one of which obviously Dusk participated.
1: Yay. So, so first of all, Dusk was actually uh, the first one to publicly announce a fundraise. So that, that shows the the extent of our collaboration so far. Uh, thank you a lot for believing in us. We are very grateful to announce or to have already announced uh, two and a 2.5 million fundraise led by Jump Crypto, uh, supported by Superscript and over 15 very exceptional angel investors. I would call Dusk and Angel as well, just because of how close and, and, and helpful they have been us so far. And um, yeah, super excited for this to turbocharge or business development, product development. obviously. We're, in the end, p- partly from Eastern Europe as a team, so we're very good at not spending too much money too fast, uh, but, but, but nonetheless, uh, it will be very important for
0: growth. Great to have you with us today. Can you start by telling our listeners a bit about yourself and your journey, your personal journey into the blockchain space?
1: Oh God, that started a, a while back in 2016, I must say, and um, this is when I was uh, I was just playing around with different technological projects because I was just curious, and then one of my current kind of mentors came and said, "Hey, you should look at this Ethereum thing." Um, it there's this like, like smart contracts, and you can like build future organizations and stuff. Um, back then, I didn't really understand in depth most of that thing, but I still I still got to it. Um, I ended up writing some smart contracts that eventually. Um, um, I ended up doing some security audits in the space, uh, some public lectures. Uh, I, d- I delivered a university course back in my home country, Bulgaria, because there were loads of people who wanted to learn about blockchain. 2016, 2017, especially at the peak over there. Um, and yeah, funnily enough, uh, the same mentor tried to pay me uh, in ethers and like for for some of for some of the work I did. But I told them, no, give me cash, because Ether was like $5, 10 And I said, like, no, it's going to fall, or it might fall. I, I don't know what this is. <laughs> and so I just said, no, give me cash. <laughs> and then a couple of years later, 2017, in the in the peak of June, uh, when Ether almost topped to 2- 2K, then I said, fine, give me Ether. So it- it's-, it's-, it's it's about time. <laughs> and then obviously it fell down 10X or 15X. So uh, don't ask me for investment advice, but but uh, I have explored blockchain for some time now um, with a bigger focus on privacy uh, in the last couple of years, specifically like I said, zero knowledge proofs, etc. And security and decentralization and resilience and all the all the good stuff.
0: Okay, great. It sounds like being offered to be being paid in ETH was kind of like your almost your Bitcoin pizza moment. In fact, in reverse, right? In retrospect, would have been a great thing to have accepted. But yeah, who can predict the future, especially in this market? Having said that, talking about predicting the future, something made you then look at all this and go, you know what, I'm going to go into this full time. What was it that made you decide to go down this route?
1: It was it was the value alignment. So first of all, between let's say 2016 and then 2019, I was active in the field and 2019 onwards, I I, I was less active per se because there was just, I, I saw there was way, way too much hype, way too, way too much inauthenticity. Um, and stuff, but then came back 2020, 2021 um, because I realized, sure, there's there there's a bunch of floating nonsense in the space, but the values on which it's built are absolutely impeccable, or at least absolutely um, very authentic and reasonable to me. The fact that we need to build a world where we don't have to rely on centralized actors. It's not just about banks. It's It's about the political system. It's about uh, it's about effectively democracy versus authoritarianism to me. And and I see that this is pushing uh, a vision of the world where everyone's slightly better off. Obviously, execution-wise, it's, it's very, very far from there. But simply the fact that I see these values in the space, which fully align with who I am, means that I can meet other people like this. And together, we can build something exponentially bigger than what I can do myself.
0: Is that, what, would you say that that sort of desire uh, to see a better, more democratic system is what really, under the surface, drives your passion for this work? And if so, how does this influence what you see as the future for Outdid itself?
1: Yes, uh, pretty much. So the, the valuation which Web 3 is built is pretty much the reason why we started Outdid. The concrete use case and is more of a matter of, I'd say, finding the right market opportunity at the right time. And 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 yeah, finding the right way to apply these values and these principles in practice. But 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 besides this, we're all about promoting decentralization, meaning promoting democracy, essentially promoting freedom of speech, promoting the ability for people to, to 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 voice their concerns, to make sure that the system is is taking them into account and caring for them. And that's just a few a few layers deeper than than just saying uh, we need to protect people's privacy, or you know uh doing identity verification is is dangerous in the current way it's doing
0: okay so tell us when did you first hear about uh, zero knowledge proofs and what was it about them that fascinated you the most
1: that was actually after we came up with the idea about audit and after we decided okay let's make a fully private way to verify people's identities the question was how i had a i had an intuition that it it must be possible um but i just had no idea how so i just started messaging a bunch of university professors Asking them, hey, this is this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I've worked in the past. And can you point me in the right direction? And eventually, one of them said, "Oh yeah, that's that's obviously trivially easy to do. You just like apply this paper and then this approach and this approach and like combine it together in a Frankenstein monster, and you're good to go." (laughs) And so, and so this is how I learned about the concept of zero knowledge proofs. Um, Read a few papers, dive deeper into it, and that was the aha moment of wait. First, how how is this possible? It sounds like black magic. And, but then, yeah, turns out it's, uh, it's very possible, very practical as well.
0: It does sound like black magic almost. I mean, when I try to explain it to people, I say well, what we're trying to do effectively is trying to prove something without revealing that information itself. And it's like when 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 you explain it to people, I personally find that you point it out, and people kind of go, "Okay, yeah, I kind of get it." But the the mental process that goes into asking how that can be done when you know what i mean because passively speaking when i explain that to somebody it takes a while and they go okay fine but like you know how how to come up with the idea that maybe this is possible to begin with was it was there was this just a creative thinking burst in your head or did you see some something that made you think oh we could take this to the next level how did that work
1: it's difficult to rationalize a pure intuitive process but effectively I saw that we've got these ID documents. I saw that they have, let's say, uh, biometric chips in them. And I saw what's stored in these chips. And then they said, given like there there, there, there just must be a way that that I can use this without revealing all of it, essentially. There, there, there just must be some some cryptographic trick or some way that I can uh, hide it, hide this information or spin it up through some process and, and be able to output something as a result of that document but not the actual document itself. I am I don't think I'm being very helpful answering the question, but I do feel that it's just a combination of having worked in technology for some time to have developed just an a intuitive feel of how what things might be possible, and what things might not be possible effectively. It's sorry, it's almost as if you're trying to imagine a, a, a brand new technology that or a, a brand new value proposition and then and then your intuition is trying to tell you how this might actually happen technologically speaking before, you get to hear how it actually happens, and and it ends up being not too far from the actual explanation.
0: Yeah, well, as you said, it's very hard to explain an intuitive process. But uh, I was just curious sort of how that comes 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 about. But uh, I think that was a very good answer, so absolutely fine. Now, speaking about that, you talked about biometric data. Let's talk about passports and things like that. Um, can you tell us just just a little in, in basic uh, a couple of senses for people who are not familiar? What is Outdid's solution? Like, what does it do and how does it help people?
1: Gotcha. So, effectively, we've we've built a way in the form of an app right now, which allows people to upload their ID document, for example, their passports or their ID card, into their phone. When I say upload upload to their phone, not to the cloud, okay? Big, Big difference. And so, now that your phone has your ID document, then based on the data we read from the documents, we can make zero knowledge proofs that this document is authentic and that maybe you're over 18 or that you are Jake or that you are a unique human or any kind of filters based on that information. In even simpler terms, it effectively means that your phone verifies your own identity without sending it to any third party for verification. And this is really the key value proposition, which uh, which uh, spurs all the privacy advantages of, of what we're building.
0: Indeed. So the the receiver then receives something that effectively guarantees that this person, for example, as you said, is over eighteen. But that's that's all they know, pretty much
1: in the end. And this this process happens without even Audid ever intercepting user data, and and there's no other third party in the process which also gets to see your passport and, and gets a sign off on it. It's direct peer-to-peer user to to the end consumer of that verification result, which is, to my knowledge, the, the first time this has happened in the field.
0: Yeah, well, that's very important. So even Outdid doesn't know. Even Outdid yes. doesn't have a copy well, of if, your If Outdid's idea.
1: new, then we'd, be, we'd, then we'd be the same as every other verification solution because in the end, the KVC company exactly. is one which takes in your passport, signs off on it, and then sends the result to someone else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's what I wanted to get into, because it, there are a lot of verification solutions out there. And I think people are quite familiar with how these verification solutions work. They've been around for years on the internet, but almost all of them are some version of basically saying, okay, let us look at your ID, and then we'll tell the guys that the stuff on your ID is correct. But what you're saying here is that you you don't have that at all. This is all done cryptographically, you have no copies. of it. That's Fascinating, and of course, that's the reason why the two of us are talking. That's why Dusk and Outdid have gotten involved because of the the unique nature of that solution. Um, and what kind of let's 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 think about it from the other side. What kind of challenges does this pose, and and how is Outdid facing these challenges?
1: So, one of the things is, let's say, a user experience, because now we're now we're talking about zero knowledge proofs which usually means yep. a computation process which takes a certain amount of time and which also requires a certain amount of download space or storage space on the device, which is doing these proofs. Uh, sometimes this right. ends up being a lot. And especially if you're trying to do this on mobile, meaning it should be something which the user can easily set up very quickly with low, connect- low, with low connectivity and do that. This this is a challenging proposition. So thankfully we have optimized our process Quite a lot. We've we've achieved almost a, let's say a five x reduction in uh, the time it takes to make a proof and the download of the app itself um, since our first prototype. But 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 there there's still ways to go.
0: Okay, okay, very clear. So Svetlin, what is an unpopular opinion that you currently have about the blockchain space?
1: Something I'm thinking about is that regulations are not really. Well, I'd say evil. Um, in fact, I see, I see regulations as having a very important purpose, if obviously assuming the execution is right. Um, what I mean by this is lots of people in the Web3 space are trying to, or are, I don't, do not want to, let's say, comply with KVC regulations. Do not want to, um, do do not want more regulations in, in this space. They want it to be more fully permissionless, fully open and f- fully free. And, and, and i understand this because this is part of the web three values but in the end it would we're not really living in an in a fully anarchic society right there are some rules and and there's reasons why these rules exist because it brings order it brings peace and it makes us effectively make a more constructive society together because if there there was no safety net no basis upon everyone can rely on then everyone could just like literally start fighting amongst each other, or just developing unconstructive behavior, uh, such as like my win is your loss type thing. So that that got perhaps too philosophical too deeply. But what I meant is, although regulations right now have been very predatory for the Web three space and possibly have been weaponized against it due to the, the uh, due to various hypotheses I won't get into, there is a reason why regulations should nonetheless come, and they should be reasonably executed to provide safety in the field to provide um, and let's say a minimum level of of trust between these users so that i know that let's say that the person I'm interacting with on the other side is is a real human they are from let's say a a, a non-sanctioned country and and therefore when i'm interacting with them i'm I'm not contributing to let's say north korea building its nuclear missile system and this just piles up and up and above
0: Okay. Thank you very much. Very clear. Okay. So how would you describe the current KYC practices in the financial sector? I'm seeing
1: two movements or two types of solutions. One is the traditional approach, which is effectively give me all your data and I'm going to do my absolute best to make sure that you are as de-risked as possible. And the reason why this approach has been so popular is because, well, regulations have largely, have implicitly demanded this way of solving things. Because they say, they're they're, they're not saying, hey, you have to do checks in this database, this database and and this thing. And they're largely saying, oh, make your own risk risk assessment policy for the different individuals, the different categories of users you have, and then just make sure you're applying this appropriately. So go figure out what that actually means. And, And sometimes we're seeing, regulation by enforcement Uh, so the say to actually set these limits and and just because the fines are so huge if if you guess me wrong um, I forgot the exact numbers but I think back in Europe got fined a couple million euros because of just one individual who should not have been their client so we're talking about this such a scale that effectively throws everything every other um, considerations out the window and says okay let's just collect all the information. Let's just make our absolute best. This is as de-restored as possible. We understand everything about this person and uh, and we're good to go. And this effectively means there's a, a bunch, a few may, maybe trillions of KWC solutions, which all do data collection, your passport, your proof of address, your whatever uh, status of God knows what. Uh, they, they, they store it for a certain period of time. Um, Usually, on while usually on while your account is open at, at the let's say bank, and then they keep keep on making risk assessments initially and then continuously all throughout. So it's 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 an inherently very privacy invasive process, and I'd say it's probably due to the unclarity of exactly how this should be applied or what kind of risk assessment is appropriate, and then due to the yeah the, just the, the huge amount of data which has to be um, gathered consequently. So. And then what we're seeing from some of the newer movements, uh, specifically in the Web three space, is doing that process. But once you've done it once, you get a you get a credential which you can then port across different applications. So you go through the normal KYC process, and then I get uh, issued with some sort of special zk credential, and then I can go to bank Y and just given this credential which proves I've been KYC, then my proper the proper risk assessment has been done, and hopefully the idea is they would say yes. Now, this has its own challenges of, of, of catching up, more precisely whether the different consumers of these credentials would have the same risk assessment requirements uh, is a yeah. is a big one, yeah. but it, 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 it certainly highlights the desire of the industry. Okay, we we have to make a change somehow, something.
0: It's great that they see that, and it's also very interesting, and in a conversation I've had is that even, you know, when you talk about these issues about data gathering, like we mentioned before, it's very easy to slip into narratives like, you know, the big evil states trying to gather all the data. But what you describe there is a process of multiple actors all acting pretty rationally along the way and the consequence being this massive data gathering machine, right? The government has its rules it needs to enforce for what it believes are good reasons and then the organizations they want to... They want to gather as much data as possible because it's possible, even if they make a mistake, if they can show that they've done absolutely everything in their possibility, they may not be fine. They may not be punished. Right. So then it's 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 better rationally, logically better for them to gather too much data. Than too little. They don't want to leave any gaps. Why didn't you get his address? Why didn't you get a copy of his passport? For you know, so everyone in this and of course you as a consumer, you rationally you want to follow these procedures because you want whatever it is the service that's being provided. Everyone's acting rationally, and the outcome is this terrible scenario, which is quite different to how it often gets. Well, the, the easy narrative to slip into, isn't it? So, yeah, indeed. Um, let's talk about. Okay, we covered the main problems. Um, what would be then your vision for the future of zk proofs, particularly in the finance industry, as a solution to some of these issues? Maybe other places it can be applied as well.
1: So I, I want to talk about the future of zk proofs in the intensity field in general. Uh, I feel like this is um, this would cover a much larger part of the world and uh, it would be much more impactful overall. Uh, because finance has its has its unique challenges that, that we outlined, and I feel like it will be one of the slower segments to catch up to proper futuristic, futuristic internet infrastructure because you need regulations to change, you need uh bank sh- banks to change, sometimes bank leadership to change, and etc. And um and then the whole thing of inf- regulation by by precedent or by enforcement needs to go away as well. So We need more clarity. But um but with 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 that said, I, I'm. I'm seeing zk proofs as having an instrumental role in in the future of any kind of online interactions going forward, because, like I said, there there is a good reason why people verify things about other people. It 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 usually saves time in forming trust, and it allows us to provide better services to each other. Right. That's why there is a credit score. I'm not I'm not advocating for the way it's currently being executed, but there is a good reason why there is the credit scores exist, which is. This bank can immediately trust you, and I can get a credit card from them without having to develop this trust relationship. And zk proofs just take this to the next level, because the problem with credit scores is well, the problem with what happened with Equifax is that inherently it's still it's still non-private, and as a result, it can be hacked, it can be breached, and uh, this can expose literally everyone on the planet, as as it as what just like what happened with Equifax in the US. And so zk proofs allow us to form trust relationships trust relationships between each other because I because I can prove to you that I've lived in the UK for God knows how many years. I can prove to you that I have always paid my rent on time. And, and the, these are all, for example, credentials, that I digital credentials that I would have. I would have received credentials from my landlord because I paid my rent. I would have received a credential from the UK government that, that I've lived here for God knows how many years. I receive a credential that I paid my taxes here. I would receive a credential that... And uh, I got a loan from this company. Uh, I, have a, I have an insurance certification from this other company, and then I can combine all of those and make proofs or make statements about them, such as, "Yeah, I've got insurance. I pay my taxes. I've lived here. I, 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 I'm a good faith individual, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Therefore, this bank can now give me a credit card because because I'm more reliable, right? So it it effectively is a credit card replacement, but but uh, but much more than this because. Because there's no massive data gathering, because all the relationships appear peer-to-peer, right? The insurance company knows it knows to give me insurance because duh, it's the insurance company. And I know it because, well, I, I got the insurance. So there's there's no new data being stored along the chain, except I have an, I have a certificate from them that now I can reuse for other purposes. So there's it does not increase data gathering, but it can replace any kind of centralized solutions for data storage. So simply put. Um, yeah, I can, I can, we can develop much more sophisticated relationship, relationship with, between people. When I got to Facebook of marketplace, for example, I can verify that this person really has sold that many items, not just on Facebook, but on eBay, on Amazon, and God knows what. So, And then I can verify that all their consumers actually were happy eventually, um, because maybe this, maybe reviews and customer feedback would also be a credential that uh, could be shared around and so all of these things can, uh, can can make from a much more
0: frictionless world excellent a much more frictionless world i like that okay is it because a closing thought closing ideas could you would you mind to share with us what you're most excited about for the future of outdid or the future of the blockchain market in general
1: that did well these are two, two separate questions i'm most excited for the future of the blockchain market or when it overcomes the current regulatory challenges the current uh, some people might call predatory challenges like specifically targeted against the against the whole ecosystem. Because I feel like it, it, it will be inevitable that, that something amazing comes out of here so long as we make sure that it does not uh it that it does not come under the control of the usual centralized actor cause actors because then there's just nothing changes anyways. And um and I'm just super excited about the 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 force that, that this field would put on the current political system to be fairer and more representative to the current economic system, not just in the West, because the West, although it has its problems, it's kind of okay-ish. Look at, you know, the, the East, the the South, everything else is uh, requires a lot more change. And I feel like this will be instrumental in the long run. Long run and obviously, if most of the, let, let's call it noise in the field settles, uh, maybe if the maybe if the if the bubble bursts if 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 that happens, then then we'll see some some tangible use cases coming out of this. Besides this, for for out I'm I'm super excited actually for the short term, because there's there's many new regulations coming out for bringing internet verification at scale. We're talking about, for example, Twitter announced Twitter Blue now they're doing identity checks. There were some rumors that meta was also preparing a similar premium subscription model to also include identity in checks to, to, to make it verified um this is both in an, an industry push because presumably they they finally understand that having i guess 60 50 whatever percent of the of your user base be bots is not actually that good for the business but but it's also pushed from from the side of regulations because there is uh for, for, for example the the digital services act in europe does Slightly mentioned the fact that social media needs to be needs to be significantly better at detecting bots, and usually the more intuitive way of doing this is by identity checks. And I'm super excited for Al to start embracing these new use cases, which are not focused on the financial sector, but are are use cases at which are happening at scale to to promote, let's say, internet freedoms and uh, equal access to people and block out the wrong actors out of social media platforms or block out the wrong actors from adult platforms who are, let's say, under age, for example. And um, so all these things are important. And at the same time, because they're use cases at scale, it means that privacy is even more important because you don't want Facebook to be processing 1 billion users' worth of ID documents in a centralized location.
0: Okay, very clear. All right, so to sort of wrap up today's uh, episode, do you have anything you'd like to tell people out there, anybody who's listening, anybody who's working on on products, any innovators, any builders, or just, just generally people who are interested to know a bit more?
1: So just after the fundraising uh, round announcements, we are also launching a strategic partnership program, which is for the top carefully selected companies which have a use case of private identity verification, be it age verification you proof of personal or bot detection proof of name or proof of any other facts on the on, on people's id documents reach out to us there is a there's a limited time program which were where we would carefully work with this with with selected companies for um to provide even custom solutions for them to find the, the best way we the, the, the best way out it can solve their problems and um and yeah, to, to make sure you got whatever you have to succeed.
0: Okay, thank you very much. So thank you so much. Today I had the pleasure to talk to Svesdin from Outdid.
1: Well, thank you a lot for the invitation. Um, always appreciate
0: it, Ryan. Okay, we've covered today a lot of uh, really nice topics today. We talked obviously the basics of what Outdid is exactly and how it helps to solve KYC issues in the space. Uh, ZK, zero knowledge proofs, and how this concept can sort of emerge uh, in the minds of people, especially builders. Regulations, what their role is, and how they can have a very important purpose, as long, of course, as the purpose is good, a theme we've covered in this podcast over multiple episodes before. Compliance versus enforcement in the space, and how that drives certain initiatives. ZK proofs as a basis for establishing, as Vesdin well put, trust relationships. Between people and the ability for the industry as a whole to rectify some of the economic and political imbalances around the world. My name's Ryan King. This was the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not so distant future of finance. Thanks for listening.